Section 20 of The Vegetable Garden. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Vegetable Garden by Ida Dandridge Bennett. Chapter 13 Perennial Vegetables. The list of perennial vegetables commonly grown in the kitchen garden is not large, but it includes some of the most indispensable vegetables of the kitchen cuisine. They come into use so early in the spring that they provide fresh vegetables at a time when the palate is most jaded from a winter diet, and bridge over the period of waiting for the new planting to become productive. Asparagus is the most palatable of our spring vegetables, and comes into cutting in May. The usual way of starting an asparagus bed is by setting out the roots which are obtained of the florist or market gardener, but very excellent, though somewhat slower results, follow the planting of seed. In growing the asparagus from seed, the usual way is to plant the seed in drills, in rows one foot apart, in thoroughly pulverized and well-manured ground. The plants must be kept entirely free from weeds, and to achieve this it will be necessary to do considerable handwork, pulling out the weeds from between the plants and loosening up the soil with the fingers. The young asparagus plants are very slender and fragile, and thus close culture and weeding is essential. As soon as the plants are a few inches high, they should be thinned out to stand six inches apart, and from that on be cultivated sufficiently to keep the soil mellow and entirely free from weeds. The second spring the young plants may be transplanted into permanent beds, which should be so located as to not be in the way of the cultivation of other parts of the garden. It will be found that setting the rows far enough apart to cultivate between will greatly advance the culture and lessen the care. The ground for the permanent beds should be very rich or specially prepared. The rows should, if they are to be cultivated by the hand cultivator, be not less than eighteen inches apart, and the plants set a foot apart in the rows. This will enable the gardener to cultivate each way of the plants, and will produce fuller stools of asparagus and larger shoots than if the plants are set closer together. In preparing the ground for the plants, it should be trenched to a depth of eighteen or twenty inches, several inches of rich manure worked into the bottom of the trench, and the plants set in this. Sufficient earth should be filled in about the roots to cover them three inches deep. More soil to be added in cultivating after the plants are set. Place the roots in a natural position, rounding up the soil somewhat under the crown and spreading out the roots. Press down the earth firmly about them and level all off gradually in cultivating. Thorough culture must be given the first year, or resort may be had to a mulch of straw, marsh hay, or lawn clippings, which will greatly reduce the care of the beds. And if sufficient material is used, keep the beds in quite satisfactory condition. As soon as the plants have become old enough to bear berries, I prefer to cut the fruiting tops before the seed shall have ripened, and burn them, replacing with other litter, but this should not be done till the tops have quite matured. I find that allowing the old plants to seed will, in a short time, produce a crop of young plants, which unless relentlessly treated as weeds, 
choke out the old plants and are troublesome to destroy and altogether undesirable. Cutting for use may begin the second season, but should not be carried to the extent that would be practiced on an old bed, and should be discontinued while yet the roots are throwing large, healthy shoots. In cutting asparagus for use, it should be cut just below the surface, never very much under it, as all that grows beneath the surface is tough and unfit for use. Where the bed is not producing sufficient for use at first, it may be gathered from day to day and placed upright in a dish of water until sufficient has accumulated for use. It will in this way make considerable growth and the flavor will not be very much impaired. As soon as the bed has come into bearing, it should have all the rough litter removed very early in the spring, and a liberal top-dressing of wood ashes and fresh manure spread over it. Nitrate of soda and other commercial fertilizers may be applied at this time, or deferred until the roughest of the manure is removed preparatory to cutting. Salt is often applied in the proportion of 600 pounds per acre, or about 4 pounds to the square rod, but it is not a plant food and only serves as a weed killer for a very short time. If one wishes very early asparagus, one should plant it in rows running east and west and with a sunny southern exposure, and protected on the north by a high wall or building. A rough board frame around the beds, covered with sash, may be provided, and this well banked with rough litter during winter. In February this is removed and the frames filled with fresh manure, which should also be banked about the outside of the frames. Part of the inside manure will need to be removed as soon as growth begins and the sashes lifted during the warmer part of the day to admit air. As soon as the weather becomes warm, the sash and frames may be removed and the beds given the usual treatment. Asparagus is successfully forced in warm cellars by lifting clumps of roots in the fall and placing them on the floor of the cellar, as is done with rhubarb. It is, of course, necessary that the plants become frozen for some time before forcing, and that the cellar be warm and dark, or that light should be shut away from the immediate vicinity of the plants by turning boxes or barrels over them. A position back of a furnace offers a favorable position, as it is usually out of the way, warm, and not too light. Here, on the cement bottom of the cellar, a bed of rough boards or a big shallow box, adapted to the purpose, may be prepared and the roots, which must be lifted before the ground freezes, but left outside to freeze, covered with loose earth until some time in November or December, when they are set closely together therein. Sufficient earth should be added to cover the crowns of the plants, and this may be well enriched with manure. It should be kept moist, for it will be remembered that the asparagus is a plant of the spring, when the earth teems with moisture. If the cellar is at all light, it will be necessary to cover the beds with a frame of wood, covered with canvas, old carpet, or anything convenient, or even a heavy mulching of straw. This is not actually necessary after growth has begun, and the shoots are breaking ground. Additional heat may be provided by placing a lantern under the frame and covering the beds with a piece of old carpet, but this must not be retained long enough to engender mold or mustiness. Some ways of cooking asparagus. Cream of asparagus. Cook twelve stalks of asparagus in one quart of water. Add two sprays of parsley, three leaves of mint, and two green small onions. 
When the asparagus is tender, rub all through a sieve, mashing and rubbing through as much as possible. Return to the fire, add a teaspoonful of celery salt, a teaspoonful of paprika, and one pint of hot milk. When it comes to a boil, draw back from the stove and add the yolks of two eggs, beaten with half a cup of cream. Have a tablespoonful of finely chopped parsley in the soup tureen, and pour over the hot soup and serve at once. A tablespoonful of flour, rubbed smooth in a tablespoonful of butter, may be substituted for the eggs and cream. If a rich, creamy consistency is desired, place a half cup full of whipped cream in the tureen before adding the soup. Asparagus Soup Boil slowly for forty minutes one bunch of asparagus, which has been cut into inch pieces, in one pint of water. At the end of this time, remove the tips and press the remainder through a colander. Place a quart of milk in a double boiler, and when it boils, stir into it two tablespoonfuls of flour and one heaping tablespoonful of butter, rubbed together until smooth. Stir until smooth and thick, then add the asparagus which was pressed through the colander, season with salt and pepper, heat, then add the asparagus tips and serve at once very hot. Asparagus Tips and Crustades These are very nice served with broiled lamb chops, with fried chickens, or as an entree. The crustades are nicer if prepared from round loaves of bread made by baking in a tin can or in a Quaker crimped bread pan. But square slices of bread, three or four inches square, may be used. Trim the slices of bread, which should be free from crusts, two inches thick, Remove from the center of each as much of the crumb as possible, leaving a small square or round box. Fry a golden brown in a kettle of hot fat, or butter, inside and out, and brown in a quick oven. Fill the centers with asparagus tips, dressed with a delicate cream sauce. Asparagus Cream Omelet Stir one heaping teaspoonful of butter and the same amount of flour together. Set the saucepan over the fire, and when well blended, add one cup of milk. Stir until smooth. Add a teaspoonful of chopped parsley. Remove from the fire and cool. Beat three eggs separately, the whites to a stiff froth. Add the yolks to the cold sauce with a teaspoonful of salt and a dash of cayenne. Add also one cup of asparagus chips and the stiffly beaten whites. Put a tablespoonful of butter in a hot frying pan. When it is brown, pour in the mixture. Break it into pieces with a fork to allow the uncooked portion to run down. When it is set, place in a hot oven for five minutes, double over, and serve. Asparagus Loaf with Yellow Bechamel Sauce Butter thoroughly a charlotte mold of quart size, and line it with well-drained cooked asparagus tips. Cook two tablespoonfuls of flour and two tablespoonfuls of butter together. Add a teaspoonful of salt, a dash of cayenne, and a cup of cream. Gradually allow it to boil five minutes. Remove from the fire and add one cup of cooked asparagus tips and four eggs thoroughly beaten. Turn the mixture carefully into the decorated mold. Set the mold in a pan of hot water and cook in a moderate oven about thirty minutes or until the center is firm. Turn the loaf onto a hot platter Arrange about it little triangular pieces of bread that have been dipped in beaten eggs and milk and browned in hot butter. 
Pour around the sauce and serve at once. Yellow Bechamel Sauce Mix two tablespoonfuls of flour and two of butter. Cook until it begins to bubble. Add gradually half a cup of hot stock and half a cup of milk. When sauce boils, set in a dish of hot water and stir in the beaten yolks of two eggs, half a cup of cooked asparagus tips, a teaspoonful of salt, a dash of cayenne, and a tablespoonful of lemon juice. In place of stock, the water in which the asparagus was cooked may be used. ASPARAGUS ON TOAST Scrape the stems of the asparagus lightly, but very clean. Throw them into cold water, and when all are ready, tie them in bunches of equal size, cutting the large ends off neatly and evenly, and stand upright in a deep saucepan of boiling, salted water, which should not cover the tips, but allow these to steam done, so that they may not be overcooked by cooking as long as the tougher parts. Have ready several slices of bread toasted a delicate brown. Dip these quickly in the water in which the asparagus was boiled, and dish the vegetables upon it. The points all turn the same way, and send to table with a white sauce or melted butter. In cooking asparagus, it should be removed from the water the moment it is done, in order that the color and flavor may be at its best. Stewed Asparagus Prepare as for asparagus on toast. Remove from the water and remove the strings. Return to the saucepan and pour over a half a cup of good cream, and, if liked, a spoonful of flour rubbed smooth in a little of the cream. Some prefer the asparagus dressed in this way, and with the asparagus cut in inch lengths. Prepared this way, it is excellent on toast. Rhubarb is much appreciated by many in the early days of spring, and has certainly much to recommend it as a tonic and appetizer. There are few gardens in which a root or two of rhubarb will not be found growing. So accommodating is it as to environment and conditions, but it is at the same time a plant which will well repay liberal culture. It should be given a permanent position in a warm sunny place, and the ground should be very deeply dug, as the plants make an immense root growth, and the hole in which it is set should be dug eighteen inches or two feet deep, and all poor soil at the bottom should be removed, and the excavation filled in with old manure and good mellow soil. On this the roots of the rhubarb should be set, the crown only a little below the surface of the ground. The ground should slope away from the plants to ensure good drainage in the winter. Cultivation in the early spring should be given but will not be necessary throughout the summer if a mulch is placed over the ground on each side of the plant. The great overhanging leaves are quite effectual discouragers of weeds, and few, if any, will grow in the immediate neighborhood of the root. A heavy mulch of rough litter should be applied about the plants in the fall, and in the spring half-barrels or boxes may be turned over the plants and fresh manure packed about them. This will much advance the growth of the plants. Later, as the weather grows warm, this may be removed, and the plants allowed to make a natural growth, but the use of the barrels acts as a forcing-house for early stalks. Rhubarb is easily forced in a warm cellar. The roots should be dug before the ground freezes and left outside, lightly covered with soil and brought into the cellar after they have been severely frozen. For the best results, however, this should not be done until about Christmas time, 
it will force better then. A dark warm cellar is necessary, and where there is a heating plant, the furnace room will afford an excellent location for their forcing, or roots may be placed on the ground under the hot water or steam pipes, where they run under the floors of rooms under which there is no cellar. If a strip or two of wood is nailed to the floor above the pipes, to which a heavy piece of duck or canvas can be secured to extend down to the earth beneath, it will form an enclosure for the plants, which will retain heat and shut out light effectually. It will also be a convenient place in which to attend to them if the pipes are near the cellar wall. The soil in which the plants are set should cover the crowns several inches, and should be kept moist, not wet, and any suspicion of mold or mustiness should be counteracted by airing as needed. Rhubarb grown in this way is very tender and delicate. Old rhubarb plants in the garden or field should be dug up, divided, and plants with only two or three buds be replanted in very rich soil every three or four years. No insects are injurious to the rhubarb. Rhubarb pie and other delicacies. Skin the stalks, cut them into small pieces, and wash them and put them in a stew pan with no more water than adheres to them. When cooked, mash them fine and put in a small piece of butter. When cool, sweeten to taste. If liked, add a little lemon peel, cinnamon, or nutmeg. Line your plate with thin crust. Put in the filling. Cover with crust and bake in a quick oven. Sift sugar over it when served. The improved varieties, when grown rapidly, are so tender and delicate that the stalks need not be peeled. Another way of making rhubarb pie is as follows. Cut the large stalks off where the leaves commence. Strip off the outside skin. Then cut the stalks in pieces half an inch long. Line a pie plate with rather thick paste. Put a layer of the rhubarb nearly an inch deep. For a quart bowl of cut rhubarb, allow a large teacup full of sugar. Strew it over with a salt spoonful of salt and a little nutmeg grated. Shake over a little flour. Cover with a rich pie crust. Cut a slit in the center. Trim off the edge with a sharp knife and bake in a quick oven until the pie loosens from the dish. Rhubarb pies made in this way are altogether superior to those made with fruit which has previously been stewed. Rhubarb Meringue Pie Prepare the rhubarb as for the preceding pie, but do not use the top crust. Place in the oven and bake until done. Take from the oven and let stand for a few moments. Cover with a meringue made of the beaten white of an egg and one tablespoonful of sugar and return to a slow oven until it turns a golden brown. Rhubarb Sauce Peel and cut the rhubarb into inch pieces and place in a dish, cover with sugar but no water, and place in the oven and bake until tender. This is far finer than to stew the rhubarb on the stove with water. One tablespoonful of gelatin dissolved in water and added to one quart of rhubarb will produce a most attractive dish when molded and turned out in a glass dish for serving. Horseradish may be grown in any out-of-the-way corner, but seems to prefer a rather low, damp place. It is one of the most easily propagated of plants, as it thrives best when most disturbed. A small piece of the root stuck in the ground will quickly strike and commence to grow. It is not necessary that the crown of the plant should be used, 
a piece broken some distance below the crown, doing equally as well and often better. It is for this reason difficult to eradicate once it has become established. Last year, in extending the boundaries of my flower garden, a patch of horseradish was encountered, which was as far as possible dug up. But the following spring it appeared as thrifty as ever, and although it was cut at frequent intervals, making the cutting as deep in the ground as practicable, it was still in the most flourishing condition when fall came, when another attempt was made to eradicate it, and all this new growth was produced from the broken ends of the roots left in the ground each time. This persistence in growth makes it convenient for use, as a few roots may be dug up and placed in a crock of water and will continue to grow and furnish a pungent relish for weeks. It is only necessary to see that the water is changed occasionally so that it does not become slimy, and horseradish will be at hand for immediate use without the trouble of going to the garden and digging it up each time it is wanted. It is one of the easiest of vegetables for winter forcing as a few roots can be taken up and placed in a box of moist earth in a light cellar and will continue to grow all winter. This ease of culture and survival under unfavorable circumstances indicate that it will spread rapidly, but this does not seem to be one of its faults, as a patch of it increases its boundaries, but slowly, and there is little fear of its overrunning the garden to any extent. The leaves are of much use in sickness as a blister, and the plant itself highly ornamental. Horseradish, when grated for the table, should be mixed with white water vinegar, never with cider vinegar, as this gives it an unpleasant dirty color. Parsley is one of the most useful of our perennial vegetables. It enters into all forms of savory cooking, either as a seasoning or as a garnish. It is almost as appetizing as cress for a sandwich, and gives an air to the plainest dish when used as a garnish. Strangely enough, its uses seem little known outside the cities, and is regarded rather as a curiosity than a necessity by many. It is easily established in any spare nook, or may be used to border beds or flowers or vegetables. The usual manner of starting a bed of parsley is by sowing the seed. The plants may be transplanted, but will not do as well as the seed-grown plants. The ancients held that parsley should never be sown but transplanted, as they claimed that the seed had to make a journey to Hades before it could appear again above ground, and indeed the tardiness with which it germinates would almost seem to bear out that idea. The ground should be thoroughly prepared by spading and enriching, and the seed should be sown as early in the spring as the ground can be worked as after the ground becomes at all warm and dry, the seed will not germinate. It may be sown broadcast, or in drills a foot apart, covering the seed about half an inch deep, pressing the soil down firmly. When the plants are up, thin out to stand six inches apart in the rows, keep clear of weeds and well cultivated. In using the parsley, the leaves are picked and the crown of the plant left undisturbed. If allowed to go to seed, it injures the plant for garnishing, but a few plants should be allowed to seed, as it propagates itself in this way and ensures a succession of young and tender plants. A light covering of brush or evergreen boughs during winter will be of benefit. A few plants may be lifted and wintered in a light window of the cellar or in a kitchen window and will furnish leaves for garnishing throughout the winter. 
Dried parsley is much used with other pot herbs and soups, and is easily prepared by picking the leaves and enclosing them in paper bags and hanging them in a dry, airy place to dry. Parsley was much esteemed by the ancients, who believed it prevented intoxication by absorbing the fumes of wine. It was indeed used much, therefore, as wreaths and chaplets at their feasts and drinking bouts. It was parsley which Hercules selected for his first garlands of victory, and as the ancients utilized the plants in their merrymaking and rejoicing, so too it was brought into use in their funeral decorations, sprigs of the herb being strewn over their dead. End of chapter 13